Welcome to the Teach the Geek podcast, where engineer and author Neil Thompson talks with STEM professionals about public speaking, a struggle for many of us. Whether you're a novice public speaker or a proficient one, you can always pick up tips on how to improve. Here's your host, Neil Thompson. Welcome to another edition of Teach the Geek interviews. My name is Neil Thompson. I'm the founder of Teach the Geek. I work with technical professionals so they can present more effectively, especially in front of non-technical audiences. And you can learn more about it at teachthegeek.com. Again, that is teachthegeek.com. Today, my guest is Frank Agraz. In addition to working as a director of engineering, he's also president of the Illuminating Engineering Society. I had no clue there was such a society, and I certainly had no clue that lighting professionals existed. So I'm definitely going to be asking him more about that, and then also what he does in his day job, and how public speaking has really helped him in his career. So welcome to Teach the Geek interviews, Frank. Hey, thank you so much, Neil. Good, uh, good, good to be here. From the research I did on you, Frank, I saw that you got a degree in industrial in, industrial distribution. I've never heard of such a degree in my life, so I'd be really helpful to explain what exactly is industrial, uh, in, what is industrial distribution and what got you to, to study it? Um, good question. So industrial distribution is in the College of Engineering. Um, I graduated from Texas A&M. Uh, the short answer is uh, being an ID major means you are a technical sales rep, basically. Uh, the ID program takes the foundations and foundational courses of engineering so those first two years, you're you're going through all of the, the first two-year engineering classes. Instead of being uh, an electrical engineer or an ME or a CHEMI uh, for each of the traditional engineering paths, uh, we now replace those upper-level upper level courses with business, negotiation, marketing. Uh, and so it's kind of a mini uh, engineering foundation with, a, with an MBA. So we find ourselves a bunch of extroverted sales types, but instead of you know selling retail or paper clips, you're now selling uh, more of the technical type of, of products and services. Okay. What's the difference between industrial distribution and industrial engineering? On the IE side of it, uh, it is more of the uh, traditional engineering path. So those junior and, and senior year courses, uh, you would continue on with um, more of the engineering style foundations. It's it's a it's more of a, a deeper dive uh, into the, the the traditional engineering path. So ID is relatively new. I believe it was uh, uh, established in the 1960s. I believe by Texas A&M, uh, and now there are uh, several uh, universities out there that do carry the the ID program. So. It, it is a, a little offshoot of engineering. Um, I actually started uh, my path as a thinking I was going to be an electrical engineer that that freshman year. And um, there was a kind of a, uh, we had an engineering fair where each of the colleges were presenting their, their different opportunities. And I quickly realized I did not want to be in a lab coat necessarily with, uh, you know, that type of thing. And then the ID program really spoke to me. So I made the switch and uh, not really having a lighting specific focus, but uh, once I got into uh, into the groove, uh, lighting to me made sense as far as my career path. Yeah, so that was the next question, Frank. How exactly did you get into lighting? 
So it was just kind of pure random, random chance. Uh, as I found myself looking for career opportunities uh, as I was about to graduate, I found myself with three opportunities. Uh, one was a, a, a lighting maintenance company. One was a kind of a Dunder Mifflin paper company, kind of <laughs> kind of crazy. And then I, I did have a, an offer at a uh, an industrial bearings distributorship. And, uh, you know, I back then I even thought about what's the most sustainable thing. And I thought light bulbs always burn out. So let's go into lighting. Let's see what's going on there. And so that that's how it really got started. And much like a lot of folks in our in our industry, once you get into lighting, it's very hard to get out. And I mean that in a very loving, good way. Uh, our, our, our folks, much like others, we're very passionate about what we do. And uh, we, we find ourselves being attracted to either the art or the science of lighting, because it really is two different pieces. So when you say you're in lighting, it could mean a whole lot of things to a whole, whole lot of different people. But that's what makes the Illuminated Engineering Society such a, a nice, unique uh, um, area to come because it does really focus on both the art and the science. And Frank, you really are doing a great job of, of leading into my next question. So you know, <laughs> when you talk about the lighting industry, like what kind of jobs can you possibly do in the lighting industry? So when folks say, hey, I'm in lighting, um, one way to 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 break that down is to understand the 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 different how how lighting flows, right? So on one side, you uh, I shouldn't say at the beginning, but on one area of it, you have uh, the educational, the universities, all of the the, the teachers. Um, as an offshoot of that, you have the research and development. So just think of all of the the entities. Uh, it could be de the Department of Energy, it could be Pacific Northwest Labs, it could be the Rensselaer Institute, and all these folks who are developing the the the, the bits and pieces and, and doing all the experimentation and the studies. From there, you have a, a product, right? So now you're in the manufacturing section. And so all the lighting manufacturers who create uh, the products, who create the controls, who create all of the hardware and now software to get the job done. Once you've made the product, you have to educate people and support those who want to purchase. So there's business to business, right? You have a whole layer of, of, of manufacturers, reps and agencies, you have distributors and you have folks who are um, either selling product and or selling service from uh, to, to businesses like school districts or hospitals, or it could be to, uh, to end users of, let's say, an office building or a chain of jack-in-the-boxes or whatever it may be. So um, lighting, another way to, for, to, to, to kind of spread it out is, are you on the new construction side of the business? So think architects, uh, MEP firms, and those who are building new buildings or renovations from scratch. And then there's the existing building side of the equation, which is which is where I am. And now we're talking about retrofitting or upgrading a building that already has lights. They're already using the system, but in a quest to either save energy and or reduce their expenses, we now have an opportunity to revisit that 10, 15, 20 year old lighting system and put in today's technology to improve the lighted environment. 
Wow. That seems it, it seems quite involved. And it also seems, well, it doesn't seem, but you I mentioned in the intro that you 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 work with the Eliminating Engineering Society. What what got you involved with that group? So as as within any industry, especially in, you know, um, getting to sales, I found myself really attracted to the the, the nuts and bolts. Um, as I was working with my customers, uh, I, I find that in sales, right, there's there's the the camp that is very involved on the relationship side, right? You're you know the dinners and the golf, and it's really getting to know the people, which is a very important part. But then the other side is the technical side when you deal with something like lighting. Um, for every, uh, you know, uh, you know, drink at the bar or, or other, you know, corporate event, uh, people are wanting to know the details about efficacy, about light levels, about lighting design. And, and does this, does this lighting fixture, you know, what are the bits and pieces? So I made myself learn the technical side of it. So again, getting back to my ID program at, at, at college, um, understanding, be able to learn and educate others and basically teach them how the system works, because it's all about understanding the different uh, pros and cons of different systems. There's so many ways that you can go. And so um, when someone says, well, I want the best lighting system, well, what does best mean? Does best mean the lowest price? Does it mean the most savings? Does it mean the easiest to maintain? Um, and so having those conversations with your customers is kind of what led me down this road to learning more about lighting, which leads me to your question, which is I got involved with the IES because the Illuminating Engineering Society really is that standards development organization that literally writes the book on, on lighting design and practice. So we have a lighting handbook that was um, has been used for, for many, many years and has now since evolved into our lighting library, which is a collection of all of the um, recommended practice and documents, which is used by not only all of us within North America, but many places around the world. And so we are the lighting authority. We are the lighting source that people go to to figure out how to design a space. Wow. That, that seems a lot. It seems quite involved. But you're the you're the president of the group currently. What is your what are your plans as president of the group? So the IS was established in 1906. Um, I'm the 118th president of, of the society. Uh, it it wasn't until 1947 when we uh, issued our first lighting handbook, and really sought to bring together those with lighting knowledge to benefit the public. That's really what we do. Uh, I, I started my IS career um, at the section level in Houston, Texas. I wanted to uh, be able to network with those within my lighting community, uh, start sharing ideas, learn about what's going on. The lighting industry has been very, uh, very uh, fast paced in the last 20 years. Uh, we've had a lot of, of uh, advancements in technologies and so, uh, much like with computers and when TVs went from the old tubes to the flat screens, right? There's always this new iteration. And so uh, many customers and folks who want good lighting are, are relying on us to help guide them into what is the best decision. So as I got 
more involved with the IAS at the section level, I learned about this new world where we had um, uh, this society level of, of, of leadership to guide all of the volunteers who are the ones that write all the documents. So we've got you know, more than 7,000 members across the world. Uh, we have about a thousand of those engaged in committees that get down to the, the very details of, of good lighting practice. So it could be lighting for, for roadways or tunnels or office lighting or museums. And each group is very focused on uh, you know, providing this documentation for, um, for anyone who wants to use it. Nice. You know, when, it, when I first heard of the, of the society, it, the, the, my first inclination wasn't speaking. But then when I thought about it, I would think you would have to, at least some of you would have to be out there talking about this because even when I mentioned in the in the intro, this wasn't even something that was even on my radar. And I doubt that I'm a unicorn in that, thinking that is there a society for lighting professionals? But apparently, obviously there is, and you're the president of it. You know, <laughs> when I started this podcast or YouTube channel, Frank, it really was based on my own struggles having to speak in front of people. I used to work as an engineer in medical devices, and I had to give presentations on a monthly basis, and I was terrible at it at first. But I, re I eventually realized that I wanted to get better because I would get these questions during the presentations that I thought I had answered during the presentation, but because I didn't put things in a way that people could understand, I was now getting these questions. I was already sweating before I started the presentation. I was sweating during the presentation. Now I'm sweating after the presentation. Just a whole bunch of sweat, Frank. <laughs> I'm so tired of all the damn sweating. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, they they, they say a couple things. Uh, you know, number one, the best way to learn is to teach, right? If you really want to absorb content, um, to, to teach and explain and educate others, you really have to go through the iteration. So if, if you can teach something, there's a good a good chance that that you that you've learned it. Uh, to your point about the sweating, right? Uh, I think we we may have heard this that one of the, the the greatest fears of everyone is speaking in public. It's not fear of heights or or claustrophobia. It's speaking in public, and so uh, coming from that sales cloth, but also coming from the the technical understanding. Uh, it was just a natural evolution for me. I wanted to be able to be able to uh, absorb the technical and be able to uh, to kind of uh, teach those who may be uh, not involved in lighting every day. And so how do you take the difficult and and explain it in a way that others understand? And uh, that public speaking was just kind of a natural iteration because but what better way to um, to let others know about who we are and how the things that we do can improve others' lives than to speak in public, whether it be at a lighting conference, whether it be within a smaller group of, of customers, right? If you're trying to do your day job and, and, and get folks to understand what's out there or with folks like yourself. Um, you know, the IES has a lot of different um, constituencies. We have a lot of of folks who are stakeholders within this environment. And so whether it be a university or a manufacturer or an engineer or a contractor or the general public, the IS is really here to spread the word that, uh, or just to remind them really that every time you walk into a restaurant, to a hospital, every time you're taxing down the runway uh, at an airport, um, the lighting you see has 
uh, it's there for a reason, right? And so we're balancing energy savings and visibility and productivity. Uh, it's well-being, right? Because lighting is not just visible. It's the it's the non-visual effects of lighting that we're now dealing with as well, which is a whole nother, you know, seminar. But uh, the point is we're trying to bring it all home and let people know that that uh, um, our lighting community is working to serve the greater public. Yeah. And so, I, you know, when I mentioned that the the idea that lighting isn't necessarily something that's on a lot of people's radars, we need people like yourself and, and people also that are member of IES, members of IES to talk about it. It, it, it certainly is important. Is giving presentations or just public speaking in general something you've always been good at? And if not, what'd you do to get better at it? So there are folks who are just naturally gifted to, uh, uh, to right, like being the life of the party, right? If, if you just naturally have that cadence, I think it does come a little naturally to others. But uh, for me, uh, it was definitely a, a work in progress. Right. You, you, you have something to say. How do you keep people's attention? How do you, again, disseminate the, the technical into a language that everyone can understand? And so for me, it's really about understanding who is your audience? What are they trying to get out of the presentation? Because they're for whether they're paying or whether it's free, right? They're there listening to you. They, they want something out of this. So my job as a, as a speaker is to understand why they're there, what is it they want to get out of the presentation, and then, you know, using, you know, my voice, my hands, my PowerPoint slides, or whatever it is, as a way to communicate that information. And so make it, make it pithy, make it funny, make it memorable, and hopefully they'll take away something. Yeah. Do you have a process for putting your presentations together? And if so, what is it? So the process of putting data information, it's, it's kind of similar to what I was saying, right? Like, who's your audience? What is it you're trying to communicate? Um, for me, uh, fewer words on a slide is better. I, I like to show the visual. A lot of folks are very visual learners. And so I would rather put a photo or some sort of illustration or graphic and then let me speak to it. Um, for those who are just getting into uh, this presentation mode, um, there's a lot of rules of thumb, right? Uh, you should only have so many bullet points. You should have only so, so many words. Um, what you don't want to do is to put, you know, you know, 120 words on a, on a PowerPoint slide and then just start reading from it. That That is the death kiss of people who, they will not be interested in that. So put something on your slide that's going to be a little provocative, something that they look at it and then they want to know more. That's that's one of my keys is make it just tempting enough to say, okay, that's interesting. Okay, Frank, what do you have to say about it? And that's when you speak to the slide, you're not reading from the slide. Big difference. Oh, 100%. I'm a big fan of using images as opposed to a lot of text on slides too. And it, it, it what it does is it does a couple of things. Well, firstly, for the presenter, it eliminates the crutch of le of reading the slides. So now you actually have to look at people. You don't have the ability of just looking at. You don't have the the option of just looking at your slide because what are you looking at? You're looking at a picture. So you better know what you what you're talking about. And then what it also does is for the audience, it eliminates the option of reading your slides. 
So now either they listen or they ignore you. And hopefully it's more of the former, less of the latter. <laughs> right. You know, an another another um, trick I like to use is uh, depending on the size of, of the audience, if, if I'm speaking to a room with, let's say, 10 or 15 people, um, I try to make it more interactive. Let's take advantage of, of the intimacy within the group and let's make it where there's Q&A, right? Um, the last thing I want to do is to speak for 45 minutes and just have them just staring at a screen. Um, sometimes uh, one of one of the little tricks is you can, uh, if, if you're, if you're not sure how interactive the audience is going to be, what you can do is you can put um, questions on a little index card and then put the questions around the table. And that way you're kind of preloading uh, content for people to literally read the index card. And I mean, if if they so choose, they can just like literally read the card back to me. You know, hey, Jerry, I'm so glad you asked about, you know, average rated life. Let me tell you about it. Right. Or and so give people an avenue to interact with the presenter. And if, if that little card gets you going, it does two things. It keeps the conversation focused and it it uh, invites others to participate. That That's what I'm going for. Wow, that's an excellent idea. And when you when you said it, it actually reminded me of an event that I went to pre-pandemic and they did exactly that there were cards on the table with these questions and i remember looking at it thinking what is this what, what, what is this but then <laughs> but then it kind of made sense once the presentation was done and they asked us about those questions i was like oh oh damn i was supposed to be thinking about this before <laughs> <laughs> that's right that's Maybe right they should have done a little better job of, of, of telling me that beforehand then i could have been thinking about it but yeah i, I think it's a great idea that's I, i'm i'm definitely gonna i'm gonna, I'm gonna i think i might use that so, so <laughs> when, we, when it comes to the presentations that you give frank do you ever get nervous before them and if so how do you deal with your nerves so Having a, a healthy dose of nervousness, I think, is always good. Uh, it's important to to be confident in the content. Number one, do your homework, um, prepare your slides in advance, run through the overall, you know, I would say the kind of the outline version of what you're going to say, and then really it just it boils down to practice. Uh, you know, look at yourself in the mirror when you're speaking. How do you present yourself? Are you standing up straight? Are you slouching? Are your hands in your pockets? I found that much of our, our conversation and communication with others is nonverbal, right? What you say is obviously important, but the backdrop of your slides or whatever content you're going to show is important. Uh, simple things like eye contact with your, with your audience, connect with them. There may be a hundred people in the room, but if every one of them thinks that you're speaking to them personally, that's the connection you want to make. And so as you, uh, you know, go through the content and just be, uh, uh, be encouraged that people have come there to listen to you, right? They're, they're rooting for you. They want to learn something. So if you can extract and hold on to that, that, that knowledge, you'll have the confidence to come in there. Again, it's the, it is important to practice um, your delivery. How fast are you speaking? Um, if they give you 30 minutes for a conversation and you've got 
20 slides, don't be 25 minutes into it and only be on slide seven, right? Pace yourself, give enough leeway for that back and forth and that Q and A and that those little bits of professional delivery, I think go a long way because it just seems natural. You're not rushing to finish the slides at the end. And so uh, just, it, it comes with practice, right? But just keep on message, which is why did they come to see me? And what is it that I can share in a way that's interesting? You know, I, I certainly take your point, Frank, about, you know, there being 30 slides and you have 30 minutes to present and you're on slide, 25 minutes in, you're only on slide seven and you got to rush through the rest of the slides and you're just in the audience is thinking, this is a waste of my time. I didn't get half, more than half of the presentation really because you had wow. to rush through those those slides. So, but if you had practiced beforehand to make sure that you paced yourself to make sure you're able to complete all the slides in the time that was allotted to you, I mean, then it's a it's a win. You 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 practiced made sure that everything was presented in the best way that it could potentially be presented in. And the audience got everything that they wanted out of the presentation. And it just what's what's not to like about that. Oh yeah. That's a, that's just a pet peeve of mine. <laughs> yeah. like, slide five. You could have, why the hell you spend the most time on slide five, man. <laughs> Never got to slide 15. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, so one of the things I, I, I didn't really think about it till we started talking just now, but um it's one thing to, to be a subject matter expert in one little area, but as you continue your path toward becoming a better and more effective speaker, um, push the boundaries of your own knowledge, right? If, if you know about lighting, but you don't necessarily know about EV charging stations or, or how to you know bake a cake or, or whatever that other thing is, push yourself to those adjacent areas of, of subject matter and learn about that. And so you're now repeating the process of becoming an expert, learning by teaching. And if you can hone those presentation skills with another bucket of stuff that you've learned, it allows you to then refine your skills uh, with a slightly different angle, maybe with a slightly different audience. So if that's your goal, right, keep refreshing the page with something slightly different and it'll it'll make you a better speaker. Oh yeah, and it certainly what it'll also do is keep things interesting for you. If you're just talking yeah. about the same thing over and over again, you might get bored of it. I mean, surely the people in the audience may be, may want to hear what you have to say, but you may very well be bored with this with this with this particular topic. So it, I I agree. If you are able to look at things in a different way, then it makes it more, you know, fresher for you. And then yeah. you're probably going to deliver it a lot better than the people are going to, and the audience are going to appreciate it more. It's just another, another win-win. That's an excellent point, Frank. <laughs> so this has been a really great conversation, Frank. Thank you so much for being a guest. How can people get in touch with you? So um, um, on the IES side of it, IES.org is, is our, uh, is our website, the Eliminating Engineering Society. Um, so that would be a good place to, uh, to, to, to reach out. Um, my day job, um, I work at ecoengineering.com, and we are a turnkey lighting retrofit solution provider who has been focusing on lighting for the last 30 years. We are in that existing building arena, so we're helping folks who already have a lighting system who want to upgrade and make it better. And uh, talking about learning things new, right, our, our company has actually moved into solar 
uh, EV charging generators and in other uh, both energy conservation, but also energy generation that's sustainable. So that's a whole nother you know, topic of conversation, but uh, IES.org, that's a great place to start. Um, you'll find me in the board of directors as president. Uh, uh, my term ends at the end of June this year, which I will then roll off to a past president stage and, and, and roll in that capacity. So um, I appreciate your time. Uh, this has been great talking to your audience and I, I appreciate the, uh, are you reaching out? Oh, thank you. And everyone, that marks the end of another edition of Teach the Geek interviews. My name is Neil Thompson, founder of Teach the Geek, and you can learn more about it at teachthegeek.com. Again, that's teachthegeek.com. Until next time, take care and stay safe. Thanks, Frank. Thank you. Well, everyone, that marks another episode in the can. I hope you enjoyed it. If you like these episodes and want to support Teach the Geek, Please subscribe, share, and like on any of your favorite podcast platforms, or on all of them. Also, if you prefer to watch the episodes, head on over to the YouTube channel at youtube.teachthegeek.com. Until next time.